Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. I can get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll. And on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Short Bus Debate Club. This is Brian Courtney, and across the table from me is Darren Jolly. Hi. Today, we are going to talk about, well, who the crooks really are. Is it the bank robbers or the banks robbing people? Banks Um, robbing banks, robbing banks, robbing banks, robbing banks. (laughs) We're just kind of going around in circles. Um. We kind of came up with this topic because, well, again, everything's interconnected, but we were talking and kind of bullshitting about politicians saying, well, we can't legalize drugs because then crime will go through the roof. And, you know, I always assumed that the majority of them were talking about crime going up because now junkies are going to go crazy and they're going to start robbing people to pay for their habit. And I think, again, that that's what the majority of them meant. But I was thinking about it, and what if they meant because if drugs are legal – that now drug dealers aren't going to have a way to make a living. We gotta be concerned about the political economy of black market drug dealers. We don't want to. If you destroy that market, then El Chapo's family is gonna go right in the shitter. You know, El Paso is gonna be all fucked up from here to eternity. Right. And so Darren cracked the joke about retraining these people for different stuff. Um, really, like honestly, like you think about it. Like if you went and made fucking coke and. All this shit legal, you know, whatever, fentanyl, the, the pills, all this stuff. What I mean, obviously, like, if you look deep in what they've been doing down through the cartels in Mexico, they're, they're very well diversified with the way that they're doing the things that they're doing. Like, if you, for practical reasons, if you eliminated that political economy, if you're an intelligent person, you, you're going to make, if you're an intelligent leader in that moment, you, you should probably have some sort of a transition plan. Well, and that's kind of... You know, what we're going to touch on, at least to some degree, because, you know, the the CIA are making money for slush funds and whatever off of illegal drugs. The banks are making shit tons of money off of illegal drugs from laundering it, you know, because, I mean, fuck, even if you make two points of what Chapo was doing for a while, that's a fucking lot of money. But he was burying most of it. I mean, he wasn't, none of his money was going to banks, was it? Dude, there's a fucking entire, well, I yeah. mean, I don't know what he did with his money. I know that they say that the odd farmer every now and then comes across a bunch of fucking money that he fucking dug up. And I don't know if that belonged to Chapo or fucking Pablo Escobar or, you know, who it ended up who was the owner of it? I'm sure that the farmer was like, fuck this, you guys take it. I don't I don't I want it. I it was the guy from No Country for Me, the old man that had the cattle the cattle prod. Is that you know? Um but 
I mean, banks made a fucking ton of money off illegal shit and still do. I mean, because they like to move money around and hide it for people, tax shelters and shit like that. Even if they're trying to be above board for the most part, you know, the UK has such a high tax rate that a lot of those rich people in the UK talk to some of these Swiss bankers and shit to hide money. And they're, they're making their money legally in a lot of cases. Um, so banks, yeah, they're, they're fucking crooks. I, I, but I, I think that like when you're talking about what they're doing for the people that are, you know, like you said, like if you, so like if you, if you got like a bank in the Isle of Man or in the Grand Caymans or something like that, where, uh, you're not subject to maybe certain uh, uh, aspects of oversight inside of, like you would be if you were using the Bank of London or some shit like that, or Goldman Sachs or whatever, you know? Well, but that's the thing, is that generally it starts in the home country. Let, let, let me finish. Okay. I know it's hard for you sometimes. I, it is hard. <laughs> we haven't talked for like 10 days, <laughs> dude. Excited. Right, 10 days. It's been longer than that, hasn't it? Uh, we posted the last one on the 20th, 29th, I think. Okay, okay. So, well, either way, um, yeah. So it's been 14 yeah, days. It's been, it's been a while. Um, but the places where, like, I, I just see those markets as ancillary markets relative to what's it. So, like, when when I really got pissy and I was like, banks, robbing banks. But, you know, I mean, I was thinking about Silicon Valley Bank and what they were doing with, with that. And we'll get deeper into that space a little bit later, but when you have all of these, I mean, Silicon Valley bank, they have, I mean, they just like seed money for all these, you know, giant, you know, tech spaces and a lot of money moving around, uh, the top 10. Uh, so I made a comment on the last, uh, discussion about, uh, I suggested that, uh, one of the, uh, the tech companies was holding, uh, over 700 million and it was the one that I was, I can't remember the name of it, but it really was right just below 600 million. But the deeper that we got into it, um, and I listened to, you know, I listen to breaking points a lot. Uh, there, there was a, a segment that, uh, um, that Crystal did where they were talking about uh, the top 10 uh, depositors in that bank uh, were, were holding $13.33 billion, right? So, like FDIC, this is very straightforward stuff. If it's you or me, you know, and we got uh, an account, if we don't, if we have over $250,000, then that is no longer insured, right? And I'm pretty sure that if you have over that amount and something happens to where the bank gets in trouble to the bank or whatever it is that, that happens to where the bank gets, gets in trouble, you know, whether it's through withdrawals or just whatever you fucked up, you know, like the, the SNL stuff that happened back then where they got way over leveraged in certain spaces, um, the bank closes down over over a fucking weekend. You get fucking fined, right? An X amount of dollars. I don't know what it is, and I'm I, I'm not sure. That's based off of uh, information that, and I'll tell the story later about something that happened in 1983 to my dad. But uh, um, thirteen point three three billion dollars for the top ten depositors, way way over the FDIC guarantees, right? And all of these motherfuckers. Uh, had their money protected, despite the fact that the bank went bad. Well, and I don't know how that bank was working, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, it's X number of dollars 
per account. That's what I was just saying. Right. But so that's, that's in one account, $1.33 billion. Well, no, you said it's one depositor, but they didn't say how many accounts okay, it was. Okay, maybe, maybe I was using any, but in, in, in terms of the way that it played out, that depositor, they were they, when they identified it, that, that depositor was being identified as being related with one account. They were in clear violation of, of, of the FDIC rules. Like this is an, like Wolf, Wolf, as they continue to go through this, or maybe we won't find it out because the fucking bank got sold in two days after like the the uh, after the government came in and, and said we're we're taking control of it at this at this point. And I think First National or something. I'll, I'll, again, I got into my notes and I'll bring it up a little bit more later. But uh, when I think about those types of numbers and I think see that kind of intervention and I see protection for a specific demographic of people, where in most instances. Josh Hawley made a comment, and I really don't like quoting Senator Hawley. He's a ass hat, but I mean, at some in some points, he's really good on uh, free press. He's really good on uh, situations where government intervention is really peculiar, like this, like an instance like this. But he said, if if it was the Bank of Missouri, and you had a bunch of you know ranches and farms, it's just a small you know c community bank, and it was if if something like that happened, ain't nobody fucking coming in to you know, to protect those people. So you have a certain set of rules that uh, that the smaller demographic of people are governed by. And then you have Silicon Valley Bank, which is nothing compared to what happened in 2008. But it's a reiteration of some of the stuff that went on in 2008 that makes you think there's a rule book for some of us that have to play by heavy-duty capitalism. And then there's a rule book for other people who are uh, playing by a totally different set of rules that looks a lot more like uh, Mark's getting standed on, stood on his head. I understand your analogy with the farmers. I would just like to say, though, that there are a lot of rich, rich fucking farmers. Yeah, I'm, that's, I, I get it. I'm, I know. I'm talking about crime on a level. Well, no, my my point was is that, like, there are these brothers down in Florida that are sugarcane growers, right? Or sugarcane not growers because they own so much fucking land that they're paid subsidies to not grow sugarcane um these are the kind of guys that put millions and millions of dollars on to both sides of the fence just like the tech guys do and yeah. can steer certain legislation in the way that they want it to be steered so if that bank is going down these whatever i think it's the Rios brothers, but that might just be because one of their plantations is on a fucking river. Um, so I don't but they're not banking it. They're not banking it. No, not, not at the, yeah. no, no, <laughs> they're that's, not. That's, that's, I mean, that's all the distinction of the, yes, there, there will be farmers and ranchers, you know, that are going to be tied to those big in, investment positions as well. They're, they're incorporated into that superstructure. So, you know, just, all right, so I'm not a big fan of banks. We can't get away from banks, but I'm also not a big fan of religion. However, the Western religions, one of the things that they were totally against was usury, right? Um, which is interest. And as a, a capitalist or a Jeffersonian with capitalist Intentions. See uh, episode number one <laughs> <laughs> for references to Brian's explanation on what that means. Then I would say, you know, charging a fair amount of interest is acceptable. 
which would be usury. But I don't know how to come up with what is fair because the banks fuck poor people over and have been for thousands of years. I mean, even before they probably called them banks. Um, but I think it's funny that a bank you know, can get away with charging fucking 26, 29, 32% interest, but a bookie or a fucking loan shark does it and they're breaking the law. Well, but they, when they do it, they're also breaking legs. But having, but having, is that the only distinction? And that's what I was wondering. Just, in, in the earlier part of that, though, there was something I saw on fucking Facebook the other day. I tried to laugh about what it is that you're saying there. So, like, uh, I always like when people get all religious and, you know, they're, and they're all, like, you know, your bootstraps and work your ass off and make money. I, I always love the my favorite my favorite thing in the 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 Jesus part of the Bible is when Jesus fucking goes and when he goes up and he whoops up on the fucking uh, the my the money exchangers yeah. in the fucking temple right so this uh, this kid Barian um, he had this thing on uh, Facebook the other day that had uh, it was I, I, I'm sure it was I think it was a Silicon Valley bank thing I, I looked at it, I spent a minute minute but there was all these bankers that. Uh, and Jesus had this big old fucking uh, hammer and sickle on his fucking chest, and he was fucking up all the bankers. So, I mean, the, you know, I mean, the fact that bankers have been fucking people over forever, I mean, so much so that in the Bible, Jesus was fucking flipping over their tables, you know, in the temple. So, I mean, yeah, I, but I mean, dude, it's again, I think that trying to make money or whatever exchange, you know. Yeah, to, I don't... I, I, I think that that's fair. But to bleed somebody fucking dry, not fair. So that needs to move a little bit we can, one the, direction so the norm, or another. The normative space, like I have no... So interestingly, right, in, in this context, something that's been coming a lot up a lot lately is the... Um, the post office actually wants to provide banking services for people that don't have access to banking. So you would, you'd be doing it for people that are, you know, uh, coming here that have no fucking money, you know, that not, not people that are undocumented. Although I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to create a space for that's all fucking money, money moving, you know, um, even if you don't give them a banking space, you know, let them to do a couple of certain types of transactions, uh, wiring money, you know, to, you know, whatever. And there are things that we used to do, Seguro Dinero, like that, where we would do wire transfers. This is totally like falling off because Western Union and because the technology had changed. But if the post office were to enter into this space, they would have to do it in a way where it's it doesn't have all of these uh, insidious sort of like implications and what it is that's going on. But I don't know how you do that because the way that the system is so... If we started doing stuff like that, I can't help but think that like you would have like Goldman Sachs lawyers and fucking Morgan, you know, Morgan Stanley lawyers like on the side. Like, first of all, they're not going to let us into the market until they can figure out a way to make a to, to create a market advantage relative to what it is that they're going to extract from our position. You know, our position because I am a postal worker, obviously. Right. So and our position, because technically it would be a bank that would be a citizen's bank. It would be a bank that would be uh not quasi-private. It would be part of the 
an extension of the government, you know? That's maybe problematic in and of itself. Why? why? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the that's Fed, why I what, said... What is that, where's that line, you know? I mean, that's a, it's a private institution that, that maintains all kinds of public power, right? No, I, I get it, but that's why I'm saying that it could have been a problem in and of itself because, I mean... One of the issues that we've talked about on multiple episodes is the fact that there is corruption running rampant throughout our government. And I know on more than one occasion, you've mentioned this. You haven't specifically called it corruption, but that's essentially what it is, is the fucking... Postmaster General being the dick that he is because he owns fucking a stake in DHL and he wants UPS to do this. He had had huge huge holdings of Amazon and UPS stock and he was the CEO of XPO, which maintained gigantic logistics contracts with the the post office. And uh, um, they sold them heavy equipment as well. So that doesn't make me think that the post office as an institution has my best interests at heart. Okay, but there is no fucking institution on the planet right now that has your best interests at heart, right? So at some point in time, right? Get all riled up, Calm down. I'm going to get riled up about this because there's there's a rhetorical disposition that assumes that, and it's inside of very specific conservative dispositions, that anything that uh, exists through that public space is automatically going to get turned into like a crony position, a, a, a corruptible position. You know why that's a fact? It's because we keep having all these closed doors. But if the citizenry is involved in what it is that's happening to where it's more direct, to where it's like happening, to where we're conscious, to where we have to be like in the middle of it all the time, then there's a possibility. But no matter what, if we keep doing it the same way right now, it doesn't matter whether it's coming from the government or from fucking Goldman Sachs because you're getting the same thing either way. But that's, again, that's it. That's that's on us at that point in time. Well, most of the issues that we have come back to us. And I don't mean you and me, us. I mean the, the citizens. The yeah, yeah uh-huh. all of us. Um, because the guy that sits at the fucking local bar and says fuck this and fuck that and doesn't ever fuck, I mean, doesn't even vote. And I know the voting thing probably doesn't do anything. He's not activated in any meaningful sense. He's sitting on the bar stool. Yeah. He's watching whatever media outlet that he's appropriating, not really getting involved in the nuts and bolts of things, getting deep into it. Yeah. Right. So we're dumb motherfuckers socially. There's no doubt about it. Um, I'm including myself in that that the royal we in that moment. Yeah, I I'm not the most intelligent person in the world. I'm just intelligent enough to know what I don't fucking know, and I don't, don't know a lot. Know what, you don't even know what woke is, <laughs> <laughs> um, which nobody really knows. I mean, to be perfectly honest. But so banks definitely are crooked. Um, and I just thumped the table, so I'm sorry for that loud thump that you just heard. We're, we're working on the thump, right? Yeah. Maybe I, I, I'm going to stop masturbating in the middle of session, so it'll the, the, that's going to that's going to come to a <laughs> that's a happy Harry Hart on record, <sighs> incidentally. Um, 
Fuck, I just did it again. I'm wearing only a cock ring. So. Sorry, buddy. That's my fault. Banks are fucked up. We know that. And people have been robbing, well, not just banks. And so that's where I wanted to talk because, you know, gangs weren't invented here in the United States. Bank robbery wasn't invented here in the United States. Armed robbery wasn't invented here in the United States. These are things that have been going on for, again, thousands of years. The Silk Road, I'm sure, used to have fucking ambushes occur on a regular basis, whether you were stealing silk or fucking opium or whatever. There's a really great scene in Lamb where <laughs> they get they get robbed on the Silk Road, and then he makes that guy, that guy blind because he gets pissed at him. Well, and I, but I mean, I'm sure that it happened in England and France yeah, and Ireland it's and not a new, it's not a new thing. everywhere. I'm sure, and you know, Canada around the Great Lakes, they were robbing people for beaver pelts. Um, they weren't like uh, tunneling underground and making lighting and air conditioning systems, you know, for three blocks and and then going up into vaults. But yeah, I yeah, they point. weren't doing really cool shit like that. But they may have been doing cool shit like fucking digging a hole and burying it with leaves so that they could jump up and fucking smack somebody in the head with a mace or a sword or something like red, that's like red dawn on you know middle ages or something like that yeah some something along those lines it'd be kind of cool if you could like figure out what it looked like you know because of that, that that type of stuff and and why people were doing them during those time periods in a Robin Hood way, in a survival way, or just because they were just straight up thugs that were like, I'm going to take whatever I can fucking get. Well, and I think that the thug thing has some relevance in any of those time periods. But I also think that there was a need to, you know, feed their family or, or whatever. because And that's why I wanted to mention the mediums of exchange because right now we think of it as cash, currency. But, you know, of course, there are precious metals, you know, precious stones. Um, fuck, even today, there are certain communities here in the United States where They'll trade a fucking half of a fucking cow for car repairs or what do you, so do you do it like, like straight down the middle or do you, you, you yeah. get the ass end or the head end? A half a side of beef <laughs> down the spine. Um, so I just, I, I was getting an Abraham, you know, picture in my head there. You know? Well, and cows, I mean, just. Livestock in general, but specifically cows, they're they're valuable. I remember talking to somebody at the state of Colorado in, I want to say it was 2016. But they said the cattle wrestling started to get big again. And now cattle wrestling, like you see an old Western and cattle wrestling was four or five cowboys, you know, steering cattle in a certain direction. And I'm guessing you had to fucking drive them for 200 fucking miles because you had to get them off that ranch and then you had to get them somewhere where they could be sold. But now 
you just have to get them far enough to get them into a fucking semi and then drive away. You're talking about motherfuckers stealing people's cattle when they're out grazing. Yes. Yeah. Not city slickers. No, 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 <laughs> not city slickers. Um, well, when you said driving cattle, because that's what I, you know. Well, a cattle drive, I mean, historically was driving it from yeah, one part of the ranch to another ranch or to the stockyards or wherever. To the place where you take them to sell them. Yes. Like you said. So. Um, but now, and I, I think that certain ranchers like down in Texas, fuck for all I know, I, I know that Nevada is an open range state. So. Well, you could wrestle some shit out there then for sure. I mean, if people, if they're just wandering all over the place like a motherfucker. They do just wander all over. Um, There's no fucking good grazing land out there, though. How, do, how would you, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to get into that part of this discussion. But my point is, is that cows are worth money. And people are starting to steal them again. Well, they did in 2016. For all I know, it went back down. But, I mean, in 2016, they said cattle wrestling was going back up, at least here in Colorado. So, again, cows would have been a, a medium of exchange to some degree. Um, but that, you know, I mean, go back to the 1700s, you know, where pirates were real big, or the end of the 1600s, you know, you launch a cannonball onto the side of somebody's ship, you fucking board them, steal their shit and go away. That's armed robbery, or at least hijacking. Yeah. Maybe both. But then you had that. What's the people that I always talk about? The company, um, the the British motherfuckers that had all the money and they, yeah. that, they the first share company in the history of the fucking universe. Fifteen ninety nine, I think, was when they uh, came into being. Not the. They talk about them in fucking the stupid Jack Sparrow movie. The India. The East Indian Trade yes. Company. Yes. Um, but then, so then you have regular criminals, and then you have banks. You have like corporate criminals, like honestly, you gotta fucking watch Taboo, dude. Like you will love this fucking but I mean the the insidious nature of the East Indian Trading Company could have never been expressed more uh directly than, than it was done in Taboo. It really is Tom Hardy is just fucking I I I sometimes like the evil ass motherfucker, like I wake up in a nightmare from from him and Taboo. Really? Yeah. And and he was like the he had he worked for the Eastern Training Company for a little while and then he went out on his own and he fucked a bunch of those motherfuckers up. So if you're gonna do something like that, but then again, that so then that begs the same kind of question, like uh, he was a criminal. He was a criminal fighting for what what he had a right to because he had a land right that was tied to Canada that had to do with beaver pelts and the East Indian Trading Company wanted it and blah 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 blah. But uh, they were trying to force him out of that position. Um, so he became kind of like a Billy the Kid kind of person. So like, it, was it was it virtuous or was it just him turning into turning into the East Indian Trading Company in another form? You know. So. Well, so we we had talked about that a little bit before we started recording. Is that, or maybe it was a lot before, but that banks generally have a tie to either directly or indirectly by whatever shady shit 
some okay so they called them the robber barons these these railroad barons you know that were fucking stealing people's farm or ranch land across the united states well some of it was eminent domain some of it just you know they would go in and fucking kill the peoples you know depending on who participated who didn't depending on how badly they wanted the land maybe who was watching you know so (laughs) banks were invested in the railroad company in one way or another so they wanted to make sure that the railroads succeeded in you know going all the way across the united states by whatever means necessary right so there were farmers and ranchers that got pissed because they lost their home and land to these railroad companies and or the banks and what did those aggrieved farmers and ranchers do well (laughs) again not all of them but some of them went to crime um you know i mean the names you probably recognize are the the james gang not the band from the 70s but joe walsh wasn't a criminal (laughs) he may have been he might have been yeah mostly it would have had to do with drugs though and he was just trying to live the rocky mountain yeah um so you know frank and jesse james um bob and and cole younger they were all kind of tied together in, in one gang you guys are all here to deposit the dalton gang babyface baby what's his name nelson babyface nelson is here to withdraw he's another one but he was the third that was, he was a different guy right so guy. that's what i was gonna say is that certain things occurred that maybe left a bad taste in people's mouths um they were just a little upset about the way that things went down because maybe the rule of law wasn't functioning in the way that it had been suggested that it should well so if you want to jump to the 30s you know the uh the great depression had just started mid depression the dust bowl was just finishing um at that point in the united states a lot of these people that were in rural areas started to flood into cities because they couldn't grow crops anymore they were hoping to find fucking jobs in the city but like okay so bonnie and clyde clyde barrow his family he was one of seven brothers or seven siblings and they were so fucking poor that when they moved to dallas they lived under their truck until they got enough money to buy a tent and then they lived in a tent so they were fucking poor and he was you know didn't mention his siblings doing any illegal shit but he was fucking doing burglaries and cracking safes and stealing cars at a fairly young age um necessity is the mother of invention now the reason that he went on this killing and crime spree after he met bonnie was supposedly that he wasn't looking for fame or fortune it wasn't for the money it was because he was going he wanted the state of texas to pay for 
what they did to him in prison. What the mistreatment of him. He got raped. Um, really? That's where he killed his first guy, was in jail. He bashed his head in with a fucking crowbar. Um, so he wanted the state of Texas to pay. And that's kind of why, supposedly, he started his whole thing. I don't fucking know Clyde Barrow. Do you, so. know, what, do you know what Bonnie's background was at all? Or? She got married when she was 16. And then that husband was kind of a criminal, too. He got arrested. And then... He left. She moved back in with her mom, met Clyde, I think, around her 18th or 19th birthday, something like that, and they hit it off. Uh, she fell in love with him, and they suspect that that's why she started participating in these crimes. But, I mean, she broke him out of fucking jail at least once, if not more than once. And she... Shot at cops. I, I know she killed at least one yeah, cop. They were literally partners in crime. They were fucking badass. And <laughs> she was a serious badass. If you look, you can see all of these old pictures. And, like, she's got a gun on fucking Clyde. And she's got cigars hanging out of her <laughs> mouth. And, but they got so popular because, while well, the speculation was not only were they committing crimes... But they were also having sex. And so being in the United States, especially during that time period where, you know, even now the United States is full of a bunch of fucking prudes. And so it sparked some sort of fucking like lust, a lust for violence, a lust for fucking sex, a you're, lust you're for a all of it. I can't believe right. you're slow you are. <laughs> so... <laughs> So they say that that's why they got so popular, but then that's also why they ended up getting caught because they were so famous that they couldn't go to a hotel anymore. Without anybody knowing who it is that they were. Right. And I then. An interesting point about that the other day, though, too. You mean the Dillinger thing? Well, about how it is that they were capable of, like, <laughs> this is pre-mass media, you know? I mean, now, Bonnie and Clyde, what was that? That Was it, was that the 30s, or what was yeah. it? Okay, so at yeah. least by then, the, the emergence of newspapers had been... And they did those things at the beginning of movies, oh, you know, the yeah. news. <laughs> this is the news. These are the five most wanted motherfuckers. Right, motherfuckers. right. <laughs> um, yeah, but definitely no fucking internet. Um, no coast-to-coast -coast news for the most part. But everybody was seeing the same things. So if it was at the fucking movies, everybody saw it. Because anybody that went to a movie was going to see the same thing. If you listen to the radio, blah, blah, blah. But the newspapers, you're only going to have X amount of newspapers in a... And if it's major city newspapers, their picture is going to be on the front of the newspaper. And they're going to... Everybody's going to see that as well. Okay. Right. But, I mean, still, I was... I mean, because... Not everybody had a, a telephone. I mean, in a lot of these rural areas where these people came from, they probably didn't even have fucking indoor plumbing. You know what I mean? So I do. I've been to China, dude. <laughs> There's a lot of places in China that still don't have indoor fucking plumbing. So much so that when we were in fucking Chengdu and we went north, I told you we went through all those little areas where they'd be selling fruit on the side of the road and like fucking chest roast roasted chestnuts all of the fucking place had roasted chestnuts and they give you these fucking things to pop up the fucking chestnuts uh when you're eating them but uh 
because the Chinese government had fucked over the uh, the indigenous, you know, their their version of indigenous folks, you know, uh, that were oppressed. There was an agreement that they came to where they were allowed to uh, have these uh, natural bathrooms, is what they called them. <laughs> and when you went there, you'd give give them one you on to use the the bathroom. And this motherfucking guy would be sitting there with all these super fucking colored like clothes, and the hair was all fucking like crazy next to a yak, you know? So he's kind of like the bathroom attendant with, except instead of having like gum and mints and and, uh, handing you a towel, he just took your money and pointed you to a tree? There was no tree. (laughs) (laughs) At some places, there was a fucking, there were two tents, one for women and one for men, and you had to walk across like four by twos and, and crouch, right? So... Yeah, I'm, I'm certain in the 1930s that there was a lot of places that didn't have have plumbing and those those natural toilets in, in that particular. And I love China. I'm not talking shit, motherfuckers. I love you all, you know. But uh, those those toilets, I can't believe that that's, you know. But those dudes with the really uh, the awesome clothes with the cut, they had just fists full of fucking one dollar yuan's. <laughs> Just massive amounts of fucking. Just for setting up a tent. Well, yeah, dude, because like you'd have like these uh, um, uh, tours coming through. You'd have like seven tour buses off there, and you'd have thirty people come off, and that'd happen like four times an hour. So you know, everybody's got to fucking shake a shake a tinkle or drop a drop a deuce, you know. So they're you know, and they got they got the market cornered because that's the way that the Chinese government bought them off. Right. Wow. Well, so the reason that all of that was is that I couldn't really figure out like how all of these people started meeting back up again so that they could rob banks, whether we're talking about like the old West or whether we're talking about the depression or whenever, like one of the gang would bust out of jail or get paroled or whatever. And then you know, two weeks later, he's back with his gang robbing a bank again. Well, I mean, the ones that were on the road were generally on the run because they were wanted. So it wasn't like they were, you know, advertising their location. So they had to kind of have some sort of plan laid out like, okay, we're going to be in... Springfield, Illinois, between this date and this date, or something. I mean, I, I don't know. It just it's still it, just boggles my mind. Or smoke signals or something like that. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Fucking just codes on a rock. You got to coordinate somehow. You know. Yeah, maybe there's a spot where they where they meet up. Uh, yeah. Like, and they don't meet up. Meet up. There's a spot where, you know, like the the lava rock that was, you know, where uh, yeah, he, he hit the shame. money. Yeah, he hid the money. You know, something like that. A place where you could go to and people would be able to. Well, still, but I mean, if, if you thought somebody was in jail and you weren't the one busting them out, then, or you didn't know of a plan to bust them out, why would you even bother leaving a note under the rock? Because you think they're going to be in jail for another ten years. Those motherfuckers were tight, dude. They they had to have been. Um, 
So it, it was just crazy. But so again, the, we we talked real briefly about the the railroad barons, how they robbed people, yeah. and the banks being just tied to them. People off. Um, created a response to so were committing crime. The Daltons and and the Jameses and you know it's been suggested that the Earps were even a little bit shady. Black Holiday's your best friend, you know. I mean, well, you're and not going to be a straight arrow at that point in time. For a while, I was thinking back then it was more difficult to tell who the good guys were compared to the bad guys, but I don't think anything's changed. I mean, back in like the wild west, these cops or deputies, sheriffs, marshals, whatever, depending on what jurisdiction, they'd be a marshal until it didn't suit them anymore. Or they figured out that they could make more money being a fucking bank robber. Or maybe they did both at the same fucking time. So, yeah, I mean, dude, Pat Garrett was a criminal for a long time, and then he ended up being a cop and shot fucking Billy Kid in the back. So they, so they say. Well, yeah, maybe he was that weird old man. That I, I, I don't think he was the weird old man. <laughs> I just know that it's it's just so hard, you know, to know what's the truth, what's yeah. not the truth when it comes to all that stuff. Because they were supposed to be friends, right, before that happened. So Well, and, and we do have a tendency to sort of romanticize certain figures. You, you don't say. Well, and not because of the, the Robin Hood thing necessarily. Maybe it's an underdog thing. Um, maybe it is because banks were really fucking people over and they thought, yeah, you know, one for the the man or one for not the man. Um, there, there, I think that at least on some level, the psychology of this country is clearly couched in that rhetorical disposition. What it is that you're saying right there. The underdog. The, well, and also the idea that, we, I mean, we weren't revolutionaries in the same sense that you know, that Marx talked about revolutionaries, but we revolted against the crown. Throwing the, I mean, when you went to school, when you were in second grade, they talked about, you talked about the Boston Tea Party immediately. You know, you talk about, we were, like, you want to talk about romanticizing. I mean, the Declaration of Independence. The, the idea is, is that you separate the moment that you declare war on the institution that's trying to repress you. You know, I mean, and we are so fucked up and contradictory about the way that we relate to that concept because we romanticize it, but immediately we institute another system that does, for all intents and purposes, exactly the same thing that the, the British system was doing to, to the people who were revolting against it. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, it's just... But you, you, that's, Almost that's a the, Xerox copy of the fucking thing. They just... They used Blackwell. I mean, it was all the same Took bullshit. off the yeah. fucking powdered wigs. <laughs> well, they didn't even really do that straight away. That wasn't until... <laughs> really until like 50 or 60 years later. Hamilton and Jefferson, all those motherfuckers were still wearing them. I think even John Quincy Adams was fucking wearing powdered wigs still and shit. Yeah. So... We, we, but, you know, like, if, if you romanticize that concept... When we started to talk about this, I was, I, I was, I, one thing that kind of struck me, I think back to old Hans, 
Auntie Hannah, Hannah Arendt, and on Revolution, and she she's like, the reason why the U.S. succeeded so greatly and the French did not is because they were, you know, liberty, egality, you know, it was all it was more of this uh, money, you know, cutting off the heads of the the monarchs and the aristocracy. Um, it got caught up in that retribution position, but we had civil liberties that we, you know, we engaged in and it got us. So like, I can't help, but especially when I look at, uh, and this is way too much for, for right now, but when I think about it in the context of the contradiction of us romanticizing the act of the revolution in the first place, because her whole point was, why is it that, why is it that the American revolution worked better than the French revolution. That was sort of like one of the main things that she was positing in the book. I try not to do that. But uh, <laughs> um, she was really romancing this, romanticizing the civil liberties concept. And uh, I think that what she was missing was that on the face of it, we only respect civil liberties so long as we allow for that power structure to continue to... Uh, to, to pervade and all the stuff with the Twitter files and Snowden and the change and there's no there's no I mean well and as a whole we're we're kind of lazy and we don't take action unless it directly impacts our lives you know so cop comes in to our fucking house and shoots our dog then all of a sudden fuck that, this is bullshit, and you're at City Hall fucking pounding your fist against the counter, asking to talk to the DA and the chief of police and, and all of this shit, and you're fucking sending letters to the newspapers saying these motherfuckers killed my dog, but if they killed the dog of your neighbor, I don't give a fuck, that's my neighbor's dog, and that's problematic. <laughs> I don't know that I like the. I don't know that I like the the killing the dog, motivating people to uh, to to action or your neighbor versus your. I I just don't see a lot of heavy duty political activism like coming out of, which is ironic because there's this whole story in Charlie Wilson's War where the guy that was on the city council, uh, he didn't like dogs getting in his fucking yard. So uh, Charlie Wilson, when he was a teenager, his fucking dog was over in his yard and he like. There are all these people that were standing, he's on the ground, he's writhing. Well, the guy that Charlie Hazard was his name, the name of the individual, he says, his name was right out of Charles Dickens, you know, so <laughs> Charlie Hazard. But uh, um, either way, uh, I'm talking shit about it, but the story is he put a bunch of glass in this uh, dog food. Charlie Wilson's dog ate it. His dog died as a result of it. So uh, Charlie burnt down his flower garden after that. And he said, I didn't feel good enough at that point in time. So he went over to the black side of town and uh, drove all these black people over to vote when the city council time came around. And uh, when he was dropping them off at the voting booth, he said, I, he said, I told every single one of them. He said, I don't want to influence your vote, but I want you to know that Charlie Hazard killed my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so in this instance in this you know i mean he was charlie wilson was clearly motivated to the point of act activism because of the dead dog yeah but i'm gonna just say that with all my love of charlie wilson and in, in, in that movie i don't like your analogy i think well no i I, I was just <laughs> thinking because you know you, these, it affects, yeah. these days a lot of 
say, a no-knock warrant off of some bullshit information, they could accidentally kick in the door of someone that had never done anything wrong. Dog gets pissed, you know, goes after the cop, cop shoots the dog. Are you really going to stay on this line? No, I'm done. I mean, it would make more sense for me if you went back to, like, anybody that was in those areas where they were taken out. Uh, land so that those railroads could move across the United States. Like they were, once you start to affect a ton of people, you move, you motivate people to a certain amount of political. No, I'm saying we're lazy because we don't give a fuck. Like even if, even if they took the fucking neighbor's house, as long as it didn't affect me. You misunderstood what I was saying. Like if there's, if there's seven people that get injured in a row, they're all going to act but the eighth person that's not affected by it is not going to act. That's all I was saying. Yeah. Right. I, but I mean, yeah. that's an instance where more people are being, and like the, the Great Depression is the, is one of the best because, and it's interesting because when I was listening to Griftopia and they were talking about the history of Goldman Sachs and all the different shit that they had done through these various different cycles where bubbles would be created and there's this concept called laddering that they use over and over again. And it's really just a fucking Ponzi scheme, the way that it pulls a pump and dump scheme, you know, which is just such a bunch of bullshit, but it's a very sophisticated pump and dump scheme. They did it in 29. That was the first time they did it as Goldman Sachs. It's all documented. It's all a matter of public record now. Um, but uh, in 29 and then the, the stuff, you know, like you have a perfect storm, you know, there's, there's no fucking rain and, Nobody can fucking grow crops and the economy goes to shit. So even if you're trying to transition out of one way of life into another, your only possibility, like you suggested before, was to just try to get into a city and try to sell your labor somehow or another, or at least get yourself into a place where you can apply for government assistance so that you can bide your time until you, uh, there's something else that opens, opens up as a door. In 29, there wasn't a lot of government assistance. I said starting in 29. Oh, I yeah. said that the stuff that emerged out of that time period. But ultimately, like you said, there was not Okay, so ultimate, So what happens? if you if, Instead of having a possibility, what are you going to do? I know that when my, when my mom and dad got divorced in 89 and I moved to live Rural. down the street from you, right? right? So... Uh, Cherokee Street burnt down. You know, this is just one instance, right? Cherokee Street burnt down, right? And uh, I I would uh, go with my friends up to Cherokee Street, and we would go down because the so it was a restaurant on top, and it was a bar in the bottom, and we would. Uh, oh, go, the storage room was down there and too. As well, yeah, in the bar, yeah, the bar, the bar storage room was. So we would steal many, many full bottles of liquor, and we'd sell them to the kids on the street, you know. Or Brian would come steal my Canadian Club whiskey out of my fucking uh, my bush. <laughs> You said I could take what I wanted. There was, was a lot of booze. There, there was a lot. I was being, yeah, I, yeah. I, I should have just let you have the stupid bottle of liquor. I made a lot of money off those kids. But I mean, that was a matter of necessity. You know, I mean, I didn't have, I had two pairs of jeans that year. You know, I mean, fuck you. You can say whatever the fuck you want to me, to me. But that's, you know, when I started selling weed, my, you know, I, my mom had four kids. She still wasn't making a ton of money. I just survived, you know. Dustin had to survive. We did what we needed to do to survive. You know? I get it, dude. Dave, I, Dave committed larceny on your behalf. <laughs> Stole jeans. Lots of Stole people them. did. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there that necessity thing is always going to be there, but I don't think we were rebelling against banks. I think a lot of these people probably were on some level. You know, because 
after the Dust Bowl and the stock market and all of that shit. I mean, I think they called it the public enemy uh, era. And John Dillinger was public enemy number one, but there were a whole bunch of them on there. I mean, and I think Al Capone ended up moving to public enemy number one, but John Dillinger was there, Pretty Boy Floyd. Um, there was uh, Babyface, um, you know, all of these these people that were robbing banks. Ma Barker and her kids. Um Huge gangs of people that was, that were robbing their, banks. What, what was the? I mean, if it's a family affair, they had to have something fucked up happen to them. Well, they say that Ma Barker didn't actually wasn't part of the gang. Uh, Hoover insists that she was the the brains behind the entire organization, but it was actually called the. The Carpus Barker Gang or the Barker Carpus Gang, depending on, you know, what you're reading. But it was, I think, four of the Barker kids and this one dude named Alvin, Alvin Carpus. And, you know, when they got to be their largest, they were actually made up of about 25 people. So it was a, a pretty large gang that was doing burglaries and kidnappings and bank robberies and and all of this shit were they but, just angle shooting or was there something that happened to her and the family no it was just i think everybody was poor and i don't i don't want to say that all poor people are going to commit bank robberies or or burglaries yeah, or whatever i'm saying that but it creates the conditions to where the, sometimes you have to be necessities of mother invention dude sometimes you can don't fucking just use that shit for capitalism and, and capitalism sometimes the way that it plays out as we might be suggesting here may not be that different from you know finding ways to get into somebody's house so that you can uh, permanently borrow some things for them that you can uh, sell to other people and make a little bit of scratch for yourself on the side right yeah and that you know it's kind of funny because i i pulled a whole bunch of fbi crime stats because i was actually Here's another way we came up with this was because I was joking around that I finally decided, fuck it, I'm done with all of this bullshit society. Fuck everybody. I'm going to start robbing banks. And <laughs> so you go start pulling statistics. You're like, what are the what are the circumstances and how? And the... Well, Darren made fun of me and said, you can't do that. You're going to get caught and you'll be in jail. Um so I was trying to originally find how many bank robberies are unsolved. The FBI and I guess police in general do not like to publish those types <laughs> of, of, of data. Don't really like to admit our failures. Right. So I've got a ton of fucking stats on the number of of bank robberies and and the FBI has them posted on their site from clear back in 2003 until now so you can go back 20 years but it, it's really kind of interesting I mean okay so 
there there was the railroad baron stuff and the the people um you know losing their land because of that then after the civil war happened the economy was in the shitter and that's when train and and bank robberies started to get real big to where you know gangs or or people became famous you know within those time frames I'm sure that those kind of crimes occurred between, you know, the late 1800s until the 30s, but it it kind of seemed to slow down a little bit, but then again, depression hit, and then all of a sudden, Dillinger and Floyd and, and all of those guys, Barker, and all of them pop up, and So I guess what I'm getting at is that, well, yeah, banks do fuck people and, and rip people off. But two, I think that there is a direct correlation, and I'd, I'd probably need to do, do more research. So this is just a, a theory at this point, but that when the economy is really fucked up, certain crimes have a tendency to climb and you know get higher on the the tech rate that yeah that, that that may be true i wonder sometimes though if there are other like mitigating factors as it relates to that like and when i see one of the things that i really didn't look deeply enough into we we, we talked about this a little bit but um is is the the emergence of like internet crime like i, I remember when i was doing my studying my thesis stuff like they would uh these uh hacking groups would so like they'd contact like say like partypoker.com right or they contact odds maker be a better one right because you, you you contact odds maker and you say you know anonymously and you send them an email and you're like if you don't wire us one hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars on such and such a day to such and such an account, then we are going to, uh, we're going to bring your server down on the Super Bowl, right? If you don't, ha if you have, a, if you have a, a, a online sports betting site and you do not have the ability to book bets on the Super Bowl, you are no longer going to be an online betting site, right? So, what they would do is they would uh, flood the server with what they call droid armies, right? And the idea is, is that you would have computers that would be on all over the place. Yeah, they're called denialist service. Yeah, so Attacks. I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to give, give them an idea of what you know what it what it looked like. And and it doesn't because now they the certain servers are bigger and if this was during a time period when it was a lot easier to do this, but computers would be on they would log in to the sites through these various different computers and they'd have like, so say a, like a, a site was capable of handling 12,000 logins at the same time. You'd flood it with like 300,000 logins at the same time and it would just go down and they would keep doing that until they got their money. And things have gotten so sophisticated um, with regards to the way that people do that. It's again, it's a necessity thing where I think it's not just um, bad economic situations, but if you live in a world where we say that the rule of law functions a certain way, right? But it really doesn't function that way. 
what kind of incentive are you giving people to play by the rules? Right. If everybody else is a crook, then why, why can't I be? Yeah. One why too? shouldn't I be a crook? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I, like I, I can't help but start to feel that, like I, I don't. People come to the post office anymore. I can't even tell them to fucking put their mail in the in the blue boxes. And they they literally they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Don't fucking put your mail in the blue boxes. I I say literally. This is this is the reality of things presently right now. Uh, Mail carriers get held up all the time. Go look in the fucking news. You're going to see this. They're not going to tell you that this is what happens, but this is what happens. They steal their fucking arrow keys from them. The arrow keys are the things that allow you to get into any blue box. All the arrow keys in Denver are the same, right? This is a this is just a known fact. It is a known fact. Okay. So the criminals know it. The people that, I mean, that doesn't, I mean, somebody, you, you really, if the, if, if the post wants, if the OIG really wants to have a conversation with me over it, I'd be more than happy to, because they know that the people that we have to be afraid of know that this, they, they already know it. Like we've had our, our, our mailbox from our post office has been broken into now six times in the last calendar year. And the last time they did it, they broke into the one next to the right next to the front of the post office. They're doing this with impunity. They don't fucking care. They're not afraid of any consequences at all, you know, and this is happening all over the place. And that's just fucking mailboxes, you know? I mean, like, you listen to all the bullshit about the fucking, what the right says, you know, and then the, the centrists about the rise in crime and got to get tough on crime and blah, 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 blah. It's not about getting tough on crime. It's about creating a perception Two things. I think at least we can agree that two things are important to make sure that people don't want to commit criminal acts. One is that if you have a functioning economy where people have opportunities, people will be less likely to commit criminal acts. The other is it, in in that system, if you have a functioning set of rules and laws that are not impinging on people's freedoms, you know, to where you still have a measure of, you know, an ability to function as an individual then people will be less likely to commit criminal acts because we're all playing by the same rule book. And we all know anybody that's got half a brain, anybody that looks at what happened in Silicon Valley Bank, anybody that picks up Griftopia and fucking reads what it was that they did in 2008, whether it was through what happened under George W. Bush or what it was that happened after that under Barack Obama, you know, with the, the tarp shit and all that. Uh, facts are facts. All these motherfuckers are fucking crooks at the top, all of them. Every fucking last one of them. Yes, they absolutely <laughs> are. I, You're not going to get any disagreement from me. I, We just need both of those things to happen and crime will go down, at least on some level. Yes. Well, the crook thing is a tough one because, again, they're making so much money. And when I say they, I mean... The corrupt politicians and the bankers are make well just corporate America. Um, they're making so much money off of, you know, fucking us that it doesn't matter. Like if you go way back until the mid nineties, um, AT and T was still a big player in telecom right this is before all of the wireless companies blew up and people still had landlines and there Land was a, there was a such thing as is that like a telegraph yeah there was a <laughs> such thing as long distance service so if someone was in another state you had to pay 
X number of cents per minute to talk to them. Forget about it. Well, so AT&T and MCI and all of these companies used to do telemarketing all the time. Hey, can we switch over? Can we switch over? Can we switch over? That was when they came up with the do not call list. Um, well, AT&T figured out because it was supposed to be like $10,000 for every occurrence every time they were reported <laughs> of calling somebody again that they figured out, fuck it. Yeah. I'm just going to keep, I'll pay ten thousand dollars fine. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you motherfuckers. I'm going to, I'm going to make a hundred thousand off of the calls. I'm going to net a hundred thousand off of the calls. So I, I, I'll, you know, I, Here's your 10 grand. Yeah. I'm going to kick it to you every month. I thought, what the fuck good does a do not call list do if the companies are just going to do whatever the fuck they want? And and that doesn't have shit to do with banking. That's just corporate America fucking us. But again, they're they're all in cahoots. Well, it, it, it definitely displays like. Like I said, when I when I said I want to. For them to to do the government banking thing, right? When I said I want them to do the government banking thing or the postal banking thing, it's not it's it's a means to an end. It's not an end in itself, right? I mean, it drives forward uh, the the dialectic that the public space has been encroached upon so much that uh, you need to start to fuck with the, the the space, the perceived space between public and private, and it's sort of like a way of pushing back, like why is it so it's, it's funny because like inside the post office and when I talk with my coworkers about or with customers for that matter because I talk to customers about it pretty directly sometimes too the fact that we are essentially subsidizing uh, Amazon and UPS and DHL to a lesser extent um, but uh, those two for sure FedEx has been played out for the time being right now sorry FedEx has been played out for the time being right now. But uh, when I talk to him about that, and I try to illustrate the fact that, uh, like, forget the way that you think about socialism, forget the way that you think about it as far as it's relating to Marx, forget the way that you think about it in terms of the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. Think about it as uh, intervention into the into a market economy on behalf of the state where you're organizing the movement of surpluses in specific directions. People, they they operate under the false assumption that socialism means that surpluses would naturally go to uh, proletariats instead. This is not not correct. This is something that Marx really fucked up on in his uh, initial discussions. But if you had something like postal banking pushing this forward, it would drive that question to to the foreground. The fact that this other sort of socialism that's functioning right now, and it is absolutely socialism. It is not any meaningful any meaningful form of capitalism. As this socialism that's functioning right now on behalf of corporate positions, on behalf of uh, state actors who create the regulatory positions to protect those corporate positions, uh, that create the legal frameworks that transcend nation states to where you can have uh, institutions like BlackRock creating you know, real estate dynasties and... Uh, uh, natural resource dynasties that that uh, have private uh, uh, intelligence military positions that uh, make it uh, 
not virtually impossible, but because of their access to both logistics, to, to, to signal intelligence, you know, in the forms of satellite communications, in the forms of uh, telecommunications on every level, um, you, you can't even run a battle against them, which goes to what I was saying in the last episode to where you kind of just have to sort of stand naked because you know that everything that you're doing now is going to be seen anyway. It doesn't really fucking matter. Um, we, we have to, if you use something like, uh, like postal banking is sort of drawing this, the state back in the tension between the way that the state and the, the perceived, perceived notion of state and private is functioning right now can sort of start to get flipped on its head. That's, I mean, that's like, but these are all questions of strategy that are very diluted right now. And it's very difficult to find without at least trying to sort of like drive those kinds of spaces forward. And I don't fucking know what the right way to do it is, but. No, I don't either. But so, okay. Um, January 15th of 2020. So right before COVID, I got laid off. They eliminated a whole bunch of jobs. Now I was okay on money. So I wasn't worried, but I did file for unemployment anyway. But the way unemployment works, and, and luckily I had a bank account, so it wasn't a big deal. But now if you file for unemployment, they automatically send you this fucking debit card that they're going to, if you do not put your bank account number in, then they're automatically going to deposit it on that on debit card, card. Instead of doing like an EFB in your bank account. Right. But... This is another example of banks fucking people over. And this is an example of not only banks, but the state fucking people over because they don't have certain resources. In this case, their own bank account, because otherwise they wouldn't have to use that fucking debit card. But I got it and I read it over and I was thinking, who the fuck? fuck would use this card i mean the fees were fucking out of control i mean it was like to use them x amount of times during a certain period of time right it was like two dollars and fifty cents for every fucking atm fee there was a monthly uh there was a monthly fee for having the account to begin with i can't remember 15 17 bucks um there was a deposit fee if you deposited anything other than the state of Colorado money that was coming in. I mean, they just had... like what they do with the DoorDash thing. Fees coming through the fucking left and right to where, in theory, these people don't have any of their fucking unemployment check left. Now, again, I mean, I had at least a year before I had to be really fucking paranoid, but for a normal person that's going on unemployment, they need that money and they probably shouldn't be having to pay fucking gigantic fees. And certainly they shouldn't have to be coerced to use a card that forces them to be subjected to that fee structure in the first place. Right. So the state of Colorado should have looked at those fees and said, look, this is criminal. This is unemployment, not we're fucking got a bunch of money. You know, take yeah. what you who, want. Who was it? Was it U.S. Bank? Who was it that would? Uh, I can't remember. But they're the dude. ones that are making all the money off of the fees. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and I'm sure 
that what happened is some cocksucker at the top of the fucking state of Colorado, whether it's in the governor's office or whether it was actually in the Department of Labor and Employment, said, you know what? I get bonuses based on profitability. So if even 25% of the people use these cards, that's going to generate X number of millions in fees. And for every million dollars we generate, we get this. For every 10 million, it goes up to this. So, you know, the bank's essentially splitting their fees with us. So it's going to be big bonuses for everybody in labor and employment, or at least, you know, executive management. And I don't know if that happened or not, but that's the only thing I can figure out is like our tax money isn't enough. So they've got to bleed money from those that are already being bled. That's a dystopia. Like that's the whole, that's like the crux of the whole, everybody that gets fucking their ass handed to them, like coming out of that. I remember you and me and one of our friends, we were at his house over off of, uh, um, it wasn't, was it, it was Bellevue. He lived off of Bellevue, about a block off of Bellevue. Um, back then, he doesn't live there now. He lives in Parker now. Oh, yeah. But uh, he was talking to us about, uh, uh, he, he had signed a, an, an adjustable rate mortgage, you know, and we were sitting there talking to him about it. And I was like, dude, you shouldn't be doing that. You you should sign a fixed rate. He's like, no, but I'm I'm like two percent under what the the fixed rate is at. I was like, but it it can it could triple next year. I said, and you go from paying eight hundred dollars a month to twenty four hundred dollars a month. No, that'll never happen. You know, and I mean they literally structured in the interest rate increase. Hank Paulson and all those motherfuckers. See, when I bought my condo, I had an arm. Um, and what year did you buy? When I refinanced, I refinanced with an arm because I set it up to where one, they could never raise my interest rate more than a point. That's that's a different that's a that's that's a that's a nominally fixed adjustable rate though. A lot of those adjustable rates were way more variable. Than yeah, that. yeah. I mean, and it could never go up more than three points in the life of the mortgage, yeah. which three points ends up being a big fucking hit. I mean, when you're talking for the about life, for the life of the mortgage, of course, yes, a point is a fucking huge amount of money, but there's a difference between and it tripling by three times. You know? Yeah. Um, it's just important to read what it is Fine. that you're signing or what you're about, like the fucking unemployment thing. I mean, it would have been beneficial to most of those people just to go and fucking open a bank account as opposed to using that debit card even though they would have had to waste an afternoon at the bank or whatever because of all the fees that they were going to lose out so I wasn't even planning on using that fucking card but I just wanted to read it to see you know what the deal was what the benefit was maybe I got you know free tax software or free parks licenses or the, a free um, membership to the fucking Colorado History Museum or something. Maybe there was a benefit. 
there was no fucking benefit at all. Nobody, but you know, there's this kid that comes in. None. There's this kid that comes in the post office yesterday. She's a nice kid. You know, she might be 20, 21, 22 years. I didn't look at the age when she showed me her ID. But she had somehow or another had her uh, her taxes processed through PayPal or something like that. So that, like, she was getting paid. It was one of those ones where they pay you early and they send you a, a card through through PayPal. But the address that she had on PayPal was one that she hadn't used PayPal in, you know, three years. And she'd moved three times since she lived at that address. Right. You know? And she's like looking at me in the eyes and she's like, well, isn't that any way? And I'm like, you haven't even lived there for three years. You know, I was like, there are certain rules that I kind of have to abide by. And you already left a, a note for the carrier. I said, you need to submit a change of address now from that address to your new address. And I said, in, the pro- in all probability... That card's going back to PayPal already because it was set 10 days before. Generally, it isn't going to take 10 days for a first-class letter to get, you know, to us, you know. But, I mean, reading the fucking fine print, you know, and she's a nice kid. I'm sure she's not in – but, I mean, you know, somewhere between TikTok and fucking, you know, Instagram, you know, the, the ether, like, at some point in time – these children, you know, and I love you all, but the rubber needs to meet the road at some point in time. You've got to start reading the fine print. You have to start engaging in. Otherwise, you're you're going to get ass raped by unemployment, by every credit card that you sign up for because of the annual fees and the, the interest rates you're going to pay, your, your late fees, and then what your late fees are going to cause uh, to happen to your interest rates because of what you signed once you sign up for that card, right. once you defaulted on something and they can push him up again i mean because honestly like if like the real like bank that i want to rob you know is is the big one and the only way that you can rob that one is if we're all smart enough to stop getting ass fucked by it you know and I, if you like getting ass fucked i don't want i'm not saying anything about that but i mean it's just sort of like a We'll say it's a, it's an ass fuck that you didn't ask for. That just reminded me of that movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Well, if you're a fucking ass fucking fan, then I recommend <laughs> you talk some more shit. <laughs> um, all right, so we are at an hour and just over 18 minutes. Should we started. stop this one and come back for part two? No, I think we should just keep going. No, yeah. fuck off. Shut, we gotta, you need to go smoke a cigarette. I might actually want to go roll a cigarette. All right. We will be back with part two momentarily.